Hello, everybody, and welcome to Health Law Expressions. This week, we're talking about Nahas versus Shore Medical Center, the Jersey Shore situation. With me is my partner, Susan LaPena. I'm Dan Mahalan. Susan, how are you today? I'm great, Dan. How are you? Pretty good, pretty good. Susan actually is a Jersey girl herself, or at least uh, summers on the Jersey Shore. Why not? You know, why not? Exactly. Nice place to be. Uh, but not on a boardwalk in Wildwood, just in case you folks are worried about that. Uh, this case is very interesting. In fact, it had involved so many logical twists and turns in the court's opinion that I felt I had to get a neck brace because my head was spinning so much. Uh, the bottom line is that the court in the Nahas case, the district court, uh, federal district court for the District of New Jersey, ruled that a medical executive committee could be sued as a separate entity from the hospital in a case brought by a doctor challenging various professional review activities that the medical executive committee in the hospital had engaged in. So, Susan, you know some of the background of this case, but maybe you could just set the table in terms of seeing how this litigation got to this point where it became an issue as to whether a medical executive committee could be sued in its own name as a separate entity from the hospital. Yeah, and you know, it, it, when you read the opinion, you, you see the court uh, referring to it as a, quote, malicious peer review action, close quote. And I, I think that sort of sets the tone, at least how Dr. Nahouse saw this. So, so Dr. Nahouse um, who'd been on the medical staff at Shore uh, Medical Center beginning, I think, in 1978 and was on, um, on the medical staff until 2003 when he ran into some legal problems. And those legal problems were, you know, he ended up pleading guilty to criminal charges related to Medicare billing, which, of course, triggered an action by the state board. The state board suspended his license for six months and then it also, that also led to problems at the hospital. So he was not able to practice at Shore Memorial, uh, Shore Medical Center, previously Shore Memorial, um, for about three years. So after that three-year period, Dr. Nahouse wants to come back, um, and there's some resistance to letting him come back. And there's internal proceedings, and there's hearings, and there's state court actions where the court goes, yeah, hospital, oh, you better... Um, grant him these privileges, at least the general surgery and vascular surgery privileges, and then work with him on the endovascular privileges. And even after that court action, which was in 2009, um, there's actions taken by the Medical Executive Committee, recommendations made about this, whether he should have these endovascular privileges and what should be the, the conditions of those privileges. So a lot of internal back and forth. And curiously, the court points out instances where the credentials committee at the hospital is making one recommendation and the medical executive committee is not agreeing with that recommendation and isn't taking more, I'll say, more stringent action in terms of letting Dr. Nahas exercise these privileges. So a lot of back and forth. And I think the reason the medical executive committee gets sued in this matter is because of those specific recommendations, uh, which were contrary to the recommendations made by the Credentials Committee. So this is now spilled over into federal court. It's an antitrust case, a civil rights case, a bunch of tag-along state law claims that Dr. Nahas has asserted against the hospital, and as Susan said, the Medical Executive Committee in its own name. So the defendants in the case uh, file a motion for summary judgment saying, the medical staff executive committee does not have the capacity to be sued and therefore should be dismissed from the case. And I know the court made some comment in there, Susan, that uh, the defendants entered an appearance 
on behalf of the Medical Executive Committee, perhaps quixotically, because the Medical Executive Committee didn't exist. They say, here's an uh, entity that we're representing that doesn't have the capacity to be represented. At any rate, that's what teed up this decision, this motion for summary judgment. Right. And, and, and the court's opinion, you know, really does go through um, the, the, what is the medical staff, uh, and what's the relationship that the medical staff has with administration and the board? And we all know that that relation is that the medical staff is supposed to uh, review quality of care, make sure patients um, get safe quality care, and that the medical executive can really performs those functions on behalf of the medical staff. So there's a really, um, I think, a good uh, educational dis discussion of what's the medical staff, what's the medical executive committee, and what's the relationship that they have to both the hospital and the board. Yeah, it was interesting. The court made the observation that, like most hospitals, quote-unquote, the uh, hospital, Shore Medical Center, was divided into a board of trustees, a medical staff, and an administration. That's the old three-legged stool theory that the, um, there are you know three parts within the one hospital. And when you read that discussion that Susan mentioned at the beginning of the opinion, about the nature of the hospital, the relationship of the medical staff to the board, how the bylaws come into play, how state regulations come into play, you think, okay, they're warming up to a conclusion that the medical executive committee is part of the hospital and therefore does not have the capacity to be sued. However, the court reached the exact opposite conclusion. I think one of the reasons that the court reached that conclusion, too, is there is some I'll call unusual law in New Jersey, uh, right? There's an old New Jersey case, a couple of old New Jersey cases, um, where the medical staff was sued, um, the Corletta case in particular, where the medical staff was sued, and the court allowed the medical staff to be sued. And so this court's going, well, if you can sue the medical staff, I guess it makes sense that you could sue the medical executive committee as well. So I, th I think part of this is a little bit of New Jersey law and the court trying to interpret New Jersey law. Um, you know, they look at things like, the court looks at things like, well, you know, there are medical staff bylaws. Medical staff members have to pay dues. Um, medical, and I think important to the court was the medical executive committee in particular makes recommendations directly to the board on things like the delineation of clinical privileges. And that was key here because um, underlying this lawsuit was the medical executive committee had made a recommendation for the delineation of endovascular privileges. Um, that had been inconsistent with the recommendation made by the credentials committee. And so I think the court says, well, the MEC, medical executive committee, is making a recommendation to the board that makes them suable, that makes them separate enough to be, to be suable. Yeah, I think that's a pretty good observation, Susan, is that this is somewhat unique to New Jersey, and it's only a motion for summary judgment, so it's not ultimately dispositive of the entire lawsuit between Dr. Nahas and Shore Medical Center. It's just on one issue about the capacity to be sued. That Corletto case you mentioned was actually a malpractice case, and it was by a trial court in New Jersey, state trial court, and they ultimately held that the medical staff had the capacity to be sued by a malpractice plaintiff as an unincorporated association, which meant that theoretically every member of the medical staff could be held liable for the alleged malpractice of one of its members. There was another case, Joseph versus Passaic Hospital, that the Nahas decision had cited, which said that 
the bylaws are in the nature of an agreement between the medical staff and the hospital, and therefore that suggested that the medical staff had the capacity to be sued. But the court, to its credit, went through uh, citing a number of cases from other jurisdictions. The Exeter Hospital case from New Hampshire, the Ramey case from New Jersey, or from Georgia, rather, which held exactly the opposite, that the medical staff was not a separate entity and did not have the capacity to be sued. But the court ultimately came down to interpreting legal capacity to be sued in light of the federal rules of civil procedure. And Rule 17 says the capacity to be sued in federal court, in large part, when you're talking about an unincorporated association, depends on state law. So then the court looked to these New Jersey cases and other cases involving tenants associations and things that you wouldn't think were separate and apart from another organization, saying there's two tests that you have to have in order to have the capacity to be sued uh, under New Jersey law. One is you have to be voluntarily organized for a common purpose, and the second is you have to be separate and distinct from another entity or its own members. So apparently there was no dispute about whether the medical staff executive committee was voluntarily organized for a common purpose. That's described in the bylaws. At least the parties didn't dispute it, but I think you could probably make an argument that it's simply a way in which a hospital has chosen to organize itself, not that a number of doctors came together and said, hey, let's form a medical executive committee and do certain things, because they couldn't do that outside the context of the hospital. But that wasn't disputed by the parties, right? Right, that's correct. I, I think the other thing that the court, because the court goes through this analysis, it looks at these other other cases. I, I personally thought that the court focused on language in two things, medical staff bylaws where the hospital indemnified medical staff members, including members of the medical executive committee. Not the medical executive, not the committees themselves, but the medical members of the medical executive committee. And I think that indemnification suggested to the court, well, the hospital thought that these individuals could be separate from and would require, could be sued, so therefore they were suable, so therefore they could be sued in this case. And, and the court also talked about the, the Healthcare Quality Improvement Act, which affords immunity to individuals, including um, the medical members of the Medical Executive Committee, when they are performing functions on behalf of the hospital, these, these peer review functions. And I think those two, the indemnity in both of those, I think, caused the court to say, at least under their bylaws and under the federal law, it looks as though there is an anticipation that members of the Medical Executive Committee could be sued and therefore are suable. Yeah, and they actually went one step further with the Healthcare Quality Improvement Act, saying that because that law immunizes, quote-unquote, professional review bodies, and the Medical Executive Committee is a professional review body, that meant that Congress had recognized in some form or fashion that a Medical Executive Committee could be sued as a separate entity. The query is, why would they give them immunity if they, if they couldn't, couldn't be sued? sued? And so, you know, there, there is some, you know, at least internal logic in the court's um, ruling, but it ultimately gets to the point of, is this a so what kind of decision? Because the court had cited a number of cases, including New Jersey cases, where medical executive committees were sued, and they were ultimately resolved, usually in favor of the hospital, many times on the basis of Healthcare Quality Improvement Act immunity, or the doctor might have prevailed. In either case, in those cases, it didn't matter in the end that the medical executive committee was sued, and the parties never raised 
question of whether the MEC had the capacity to be sued. So it's like, okay, if that happens in the future, so what? Right, and in recognizing that there had been a few other cases where the Medical Executive <clears throat> Committee had been sued, the court also recognized that there are hundreds and hundreds of cases, malicious peer review cases, cases where the physician was on the losing end of a peer review matter, where individual physicians, and they might have been members of the Medical Executive Committee, or they might have been you know, on the hearing panel or the investigating committee uh, panel or on the board, where physicians have been sued, you know, but not the Medical Executive Committee. So yeah. I, I think it's a little bit of a... Uh, so what? Does it really matter in the long run whether the medical executive committee can be sued? I think part of the reason they got sued in this case is what we see in litigation often is you're mad at somebody and you're, mm-hmm. you know, that's how you express that is by suing them. I think in this particular case there were things, there were actions taken, recommendations made by the medical executive committee per se that Dr. Nahaus didn't like and was contesting, and I think it's a little bit of a poke to, to actually name them as a defendant um, in, in this lawsuit. Yeah, and so at the end of the day, uh, if the medical executive committee and the hospital prevail in the litigation, it's definitely a so what, because it didn't matter. If they don't, then the question is, what if the hospital somehow was found not to be liable? The medical executive committee, as an entity, was found to be liable, even though its individuals are indemnified by the hospital, its individual members, how do you enforce a judgment against a committee that has no assets? Well, but that's assuming that there's going to be a judgment, right? So how can sure. there, I mean, I mean, I guess, you know, from the work that we see and the work that we do, even if there was, you know, the, the, they should still be entitled, the MEC should still be entitled to immunity under the Healthcare Quality Improvement Act for all of those actions that it's taken, you know, in furtherance of quality of healthcare after a reasonable investigation and after hearing an appeal. So, again, I, I'd be... You know, surprised to see situations where they they get sued and there's liability uh, and no in, no in uh, oh. no indemnification. Yeah, no, I agree with you. But at the end of the day, if there was a judgment against, we got a judgment against a paper entity that you know is really a legal fiction well, in the bylaws. Well, yeah, I don't know because yes, but we also so you're saying it's against the MEC and not against the yes, medical exactly. staff. So the medical staff might have and often does have a pretty significant fund. So my question is, does it? Does the medical staff fund have to come, kick in and pay for the award against the medical executive committee? Yeah, possibly, but then that would create an issue uh, between and among the medical staff members. So, you know, I think that that's probably not going to get to that point, but it raises some interesting academic questions. So, final thing, Susan, if a medical staff wanted to make sure that its MEC would not be sued, is there anything they could plug into bylaws to make it clear that the MEC does not have the capacity to be sued? Well, I would put in the bylaws that the Medical Executive Committee is not separate and apart from the hospital, not a separate legal entity, and, and therefore is not capable of being sued. Any other? Yeah. You have any thoughts? Good idea. Always a good idea and always a good idea to say that about the medical staff as well for the reason you mentioned. You don't want a plaintiff in one of these disputes to start saying, I want to uh, put a lien on the medical staff dues fund. I think uh, characterizing dues as dues could you know be an issue that medical staffs want to revisit as well. Maybe you just pay an application fee or a processing fee every two years when you apply for reappointment as opposed to dues that go in a dues fund and just sit there, maybe pay for an annual, you know, dinner for the nurses and then, you know, get spent down on something else later on. That's another story for For another another day. day. But the dues did play into this. It did. In this case, it did. Yeah. Well, Susan, thank you. I mean, it's an interesting case. Again, we're not sure where it'll go or whether it will amount to a lot, but 
you know, for those of you who have no lives and want to read interesting federal court cases that deal with academic issues, this is a great one for you. Well, and this is one Nahas case. There are there are several versions of this in the district court, and there are versions of this in the state court, and this is not over yet. Well, we'll have to see what the final chapter is sometime in the future, probably long after we're not practicing. <laughs> Thanks very much, folks, and appreciate your time. Susan, thank you. Thank you.